Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another Red Shirt Friday Memorial Day 2023 edition of Roll Route. We gather every day at this time, Monday through Friday anyway. And what we do when we gather is we're consistent. We can discuss the issues between food producers and food consumers. It's been a long time, but he's back here today. And it has been too long, but I'm just not going to let this Memorial Day feeling go, although Captain Tom Stewart is alive and well. We're not memorializing him, but he has spent time serving in the United States Marine Corps, a pilot. And Tom, where the heck you been up to, Tom? I haven't heard from you for a long time, like you're busy or something. Uh, yeah, pretty busy switching, uh, switching careers since I exited the Marines, uh, one July, uh, currently flying for a, uh, commercial airline and, uh, doing training with them. Just started, uh, been pretty busy flying around the mountains, uh, place to place. Some of the, uh, departure procedures are kind of fun getting in and out of the mountainous terrain. So learning all about that. I uh, had the privilege of had flying with some good captains, having some good instructors, and the airlines are using us. Uh, summer flying's picking up. Their flight hours are going to double, which means they're going to need more pilots, which means I'll end up getting more flight time out of it by the month. So it's been a good time. Uh, yeah, in and out of, in and out of the mountainous trains, fun. Going back to Texas next month, we'll be basically hitting the state of Texas, state of Louisiana quite a bit, and uh, hope over to get it, hope to get over to the West Coast and, uh, Continue doing some flying out there off the coast of L.A., San Francisco, Santa Barbara, those areas. I just want to do a quick recap, Tom, for those that maybe have not been with us. And my goodness, can you believe it's nearly been a year since we were in Keystone on the 4th day of July, 2022? Yep. But um, you left the Marine Corps July 1st of 2022. No, 2020. Yeah, it was 2022, wasn't it? Yeah, 20, 2022. Um, because you're going to take a stand and not give up your personal medical sovereignty. It's an accurate statement. Uh, yeah, just to recap that, my last flight was roughly September 13th, 2021. Uh, that Monday, myself, uh, another instructor, and 13 and uh, 11 Marines were called in, basically threatened with uh, military uh, charges. Uh, legal charges saying if you don't take this vaccine, we're going to charge you with failure to obey a lawful order and uh, administratively separate you from the, from the Marine Corps. Since then, uh, there have been over 40 lawsuits put in place trying to protect service members from this unlawful order and this unlawful mandate. Um, multiple court injunctions were issued. The Army got one or the uh, the Navy got one back in November that year. The Air Force got one. Uh, last year, and then the Marines got one after that, which canceled out some administrative separation boards and court marshals they were going to do to some of my peers on the uh, West Coast that are also aviators. And, uh, you know, retirements were denied. Uh, oh, you're not going to take the shot. We're going to deny your retirement and kick you out. So you had very seasoned leaders that also took a stand against this. Not only did it hurt them, but it also deeply hurt their families. Uh, since then, they've repealed the mandate, uh, obviously, with the, with, with the new Speaker of the House taking over. Um, and new, new Congress, they've repealed the mandate since then, but the damage still remains. The damage is still done and the loss and trust and confidence amongst leadership is still there. And, uh, there's a lot they're going to have to do to get right the ship and get it fixed. Uh, but yeah, I, I reached my end of active service July 1st. I did not get thrown out or kicked out. Luckily, uh, one of the Marines that we were with, uh, one of our, he was a student primary flight training, got charged with, um, UCMJ charges against him, failure to obey a lawful order, and uh, fought it to the max. And uh, finally, the mandate was rescinded and uh, repealed 
but still, like I said, the damage remains, the court cases remains. And, uh, that's another topic for another segment with someone much more qualified than myself, uh, who's down the legal rabbit hole to talk about that. So aside from the legal aspect, you are as much of a patriot. You, you love serving your country. I, I can just sense it when I'm with you. Um, how concerned are you? I'm doing this in a non-leading way at my best level, Captain. Uh, how concerned are you that we have weakened the United States military? Uh, I'd say very concerned. And right now, um, I'm still considering doing the reserve route this spring coming up. Uh, I got to submit some paperwork for that. If that's the call I do make, I'll make the decision in, uh, in the spring. But, uh, you know, we, we still have some, some good Marines on active duty serving, doing the thing, doing their thing. I definitely miss working with them. Um, I can't say I've had the same experience on the civilian side. Uh, definitely miss having a ready room at the squadron. You can just shut the door and have a man to man conversation with people and people will respect that. You can't really do that in the civilian world. People get their feelings hurt really easy. Um, when you're trying to, uh, solve your differences, but, uh, but yeah, it's definitely, I'm, not, I'm, I'm laughing only because I know this is a significant problem in the corporate world. And I love the fact of how you position that is that you need to have a ready room where you can go solve these problems, get it over with, and then get back to work. Exactly. But, uh, miss working with the maintainers at the squadron and, and the, the captains, my fellow captains that were flying the CH 53 with me in uh, Hawaii and also the guys out in Whiting Field that I work with. I definitely miss those guys. Um, they make a world of difference, you know, a game, positive mental attitude every day, very focused on their jobs, good at their professions. Um, yeah. And even the students, you know, I mean, you'd sit there in the other, you'd sit there in the left seat, watch them make the same mistakes you did as students flying the helicopter. But, you know, you'd have, you'd already have ways to solve the issues they were having and get them to progress forward and uh, do good things later on in the syllabus. But uh, it was definitely the most rewarding tour of my life doing the flight instructor gig down at Whiting Field. And uh, it's very sad. I didn't get to continue to strap into the helicopter my last nine months on active duty and neither did the Marines I was with. So, but, uh, but yeah, they're, uh, they're heroes in my mind, the guys that I got grounded with. I wish we had more like them. I wish we had more officers, uh, both in the company grade and the field grade ranks, just like them. Um, and some of them have chosen to go back and, uh, and train. Uh, one of them, one individual wants to go fly jets. Uh, some have chosen to get out due to a loss of trust and confidence and leadership and get out at their end of active service and uh, go out and do other things. And uh, the Marine Corps is going to be losing some good officers, some highly skilled uh would would have been some highly skilled aviators down the road that they're not going to be able to fill deployment slots with. So, so yeah, overall, had a good time with it. Tom, it always comes that. back to no matter who I have this conversation with, it comes back to one word, and you just walked us through camaraderie at the nth yes. degree. Yep, I agree, and that's definitely one of the aspects that I miss. Um so, but yeah, it's I have a handful of good leaders. I can count on one hand that I'd 100% go back and work for again. Uh, some I wouldn't, you know, but uh, the ones, you know, there's only a handful of people that still have my trust and confidence in the organization right now, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, chose not to bend to this thing. And uh, how, how do we fix? We, we agree that uh, we have a, a weakened, I don't know if I want to use the word decimated military for strength. Not decimated yet. We haven't no, been overrun by that. the Chinese or people haven't come over and uh, completely taken over our towns. 
And I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. I think there's a lot of great Americans that will, will, won't let that happen, especially, uh, where, where you guys are living at Dakota's the Nebraska area. But, uh, <clears throat> but yeah, I think the way we need to fix it right now is, uh, you know, one, they need to get focused back on fighting wars. We need to be focused more on putting, you know, weapons to targets out, out in, out in the, uh, the objective areas, places these guys are serving, uh, Specifically, the Marine Corps needs to do away with their force design 2030 plan. Um, you know, recently with what happened with Sudan, uh, we did not have a amphibious ready group off the coast to go out and respond to that. So, you know, who, who responded to that crisis? The Army to get 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 the stuff the embassy needed to them. Um, but you have a uh, you have you have a group, you have an amphibious ready group with multiple ships and aircraft carriers floating off the coast of a country. It seems to ch- it's, it will seem to change world leaders minds when they know that and they know what's going to come off those ships and come knock on their doorstep at their palace that they're currently living in. Um, but I'd say that that needs to be the focus, uh, doing away with that, getting focused back on war fighting. Some of these weak leaders that uh, destroyed servicemen's careers over this mandate, I can think of a couple down in Pensacola off the top of my head, uh, Marine Colonel and an Air Force Colonel, uh, actually two Marine Colonels and an Air Force Colonel who are, infamous as a result of it uh they've got multiple uh administrative paperwork with their with their name signed to it all over it basically threatened to decimate service members careers um and that's both on the air force navy and marine side uh i think those people need to resign just go ahead and retire and uh, some of these field grade officers that went along with it majors uh lieutenant colonels and colonels that went full steam ahead with it you know that bought into this thing, made their troops wear masks, look like idiots in formation, go out and work out in a hundred degree weather wearing a uh, face mask and not only forcing them to take injections, but boosters need to, need to, they can go ahead and retire as well. And I think that's how we're going to fix it. We need some fresh blood in there. Uh, the guys in the Pentagon right now, the, our current staff, I think they're the worst we've had in this, in this country's history. Um, Lloyd Austin in general, uh, joint chief staff, general Milley, Commandant of the Marine Corps, those guys, those guys need to go as well. Um, get someone in there the troops respect, trust, not politicians. And, uh, you know, we're, we're spending too much time right now politicking and less time uh, training for war and, and getting focused on fighting wars. Captain Tom Stewart, my guest. We'll take a break. Back, back with more Royal Routes after this. Hey, don't forget, life is powered by coal. Full details about the folks that make Lignite Intellect Electricity. Capture the electricity from Lignite Coal. Go to Lignite.com. Welcome back. Red Shirt Friday Roll Route. Captain Tom Stewart joining us today as he is uh, moved into the commercial flight business. And we'll talk more about that in a moment. But, Tom, um, as, if you're active duty or even immediate uh, veteran, uh, what, what's the general consensus within the ranks of the military during Memorial Day? Is it any different than any other day of the year, the, the entire weekend I'm talking about, and just the general attitude and feel? Uh, general attitude and feel, I just think about those that have gone before us. I think about those individuals that joined back in World War One, World War Two. know there was a war going on that uh, – that have, you know, wanted to go fight for their country, save this country, put their lives on the line. And, uh, one of the articles I was reading a few days ago, an interesting perspective on things, you know, people would lie about their age to be able to enlist in the Marine Corps, enlist in the military. Um, 
I can think about a couple of notable stories I've heard about guys trying to get in before their 18th birthday or have their parents sign off. But yeah, we, you know, we've gone from a culture, you know, like that to what we have today. And I, I think about those guys that went forward, step forward to uh, step up to the plate, fight and defend, defend this place. And, uh, you know, it's because of them, you know, as we have, you know, we, we have the country that we have today and uh, not a whole lot of people reflect on that. Not a whole lot of people think of that. They're too caught up in political culture and world world's current events. But, uh, but yeah, I think about those young guys that went forward and uh, endured some horrible things uh, such as the Marines on Peleliu, Okinawa um, book by the old Marine Eugene sledge says it pretty well. He, he covers a lot of the stuff in there. Um, if you watch the Pacific series, there's multiple novels they put together to make that movie. Uh, Robert Lucky, great Marine, you know, had, had a lot of things to say about his time in the Pacific World War II fighting. But, uh, and Goodbye Darkness by William Manchester was also one of my favorite books I read, uh, growing up. And, uh, but yeah, the stuff those guys endured, you know, people can't even imagine these days. There's the regular civilian, the regular person off the street. So think about what they endured, but you know, you got World War One, the war to, end all wars and uh obviously it didn't end all wars we still got people fighting and uh right now we've got a lot of young guys that are brand new you know fresh fresh on the yellow footprints at paris island getting off the bus doing their first enlistment that uh you know i had the privilege of running into a couple nights ago in oklahoma city going to the army and uh stood there in my uniform and told these kids that they're gonna have a blast it'll be a good four years make the best of it you know People will do what they can to make it miserable, but they need to have fun with it as well. But, uh, yeah, I just, like I said, Memorial Day, I think about the guys that I just spoke about in those three books, um, wrote those three books and their stories that inspired the Pacific series that, uh, you know, what they endured and what they had to go through to keep America's shores safe. Um, wasn't, wasn't for them, you know, Hawaii, Hawaii would be in a lot of trouble, California being a lot of trouble, but, uh, but yeah, people don't think about that, you know, to this day. California is in a lot of trouble, but it has uh, nothing to do with the military not very true protecting them. Um, so Friday, I included uh, Freddie Robinson on my Trent on the Loose program, and Tom, I've had a handful of veterans, particularly at Memorial Parks. You know, in our part of the world, we're outstanding at, at, at small communities of all sizes building a memorial, war memorial that just brings to life the sacrifice that men have made, men and women have made from 247 years. And Freddie Robinson was the last one. We were in Leola at the courthouse in McPherson County. He said to me, he said, you know, he was in six tours starting in Vietnam. Wow. And he spent 32 years. Uh, I didn't say six tours. I said six tours. I meant six different battles, Bosnia, six different foreign soils protecting our freedom, 32 years. And then he was a 33-year police officer when he came home. And he said, I got to ask myself, is this the country I fought for? And I have interacted with many veterans, Tom, and I remember one clearly just started weeping on me in North Platte, Nebraska. They got a phenomenal, absolutely incredible memorial there. And he was from Boston and he was just traveling through going to Denver. And he said, he looked at me and he said, I just got to ask myself, I sacrificed. We, these guys, he wasn't putting him. He said, these guys sacrificed for what we have today. 
I have an answer to that, but I want your answer before before I share with you mine. You know, I'd say as far as what we have today, um, stuff taking place right now, not only in the civilian world, but it's slowly creeping into our military. Um, yeah, I mean, we have people have given up a lot of ground. We're just going to say they've given up a lot of moral high ground to get to uh, where society is today and kind of what I'm seeing. Uh, you know, some of the most disturbing stuff I think I've seen is we have certain field grade officers right now, both in the Air Force and one uh, military lawyer in the Marines who, you know, <clears throat> you know, not to go too down the political realm, but, uh, you know, they don't know their sexuality and they can't figure out which bathroom to use. And they're they're put in charge of, you know, hundreds of thousand dollars worth of equipment. They're put in charge of thousands of uh, or a few hundred troops or thousands of troops. And, uh, you know, I, I'll just say that the devil is clearly operating out in the open right now. And, uh, you know, man upstairs is eventually going to deal with that. Yeah. But, well, the, and, and above and beyond all of the valuable uh, stuff that they're put in charge of, they're put in charge of the morale of these warriors to go protect our freedom. The lives. The, the lives and the, the hope. And my answer to those veterans has been, Tom, you did your part. Let us do our part now. And each one of us need to be a part of the solution instead of just continually. You know, Memorial Day for me is all about this is what the sacrifices were made by other families. And now my time, it's now my time and everybody else's time to pick up the, the baton, so to speak, and carry it across the line. I agree. And, uh, you know, some of the guys that uh, raised me, my dad was also in the Marines, a uh, Vietnam veteran, raised him. We're also Vietnam veterans. You know, some of the guys that raised him were, uh, you know, Purple Heart recipients. He had a uh, platoon sergeant that when he checked into his first platoon, had half his arm mission because an AK-47 shot it off. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he was fortunate enough to work for uh, a Marine who would become the assistant commandant of the Marine Corps later, but uh, also a Bronze Star recipient. But basically, my understanding of his citation is – you know, North Vietnamese tank was overrunning his position with his Marines. And he got his Marines together and uh, they went and threw a grenade down the hatch of that tank and stopped that tank from overrunning their position. Wow. Um, back in the day, back in Vietnam era, you have guys receiving bronze stars for stuff like that, getting shot up, blown up. Purple Heart was just a regular thing. Uh, these days we have our secretary of defense like Lloyd Austin doing staff work and, uh, you know, riding, riding himself up for a bronze star. And having Hillary Clinton pin it on him while he's in theater back in, uh, back during the Gulf War. So, but, uh, and I'll be honest with you, the way we're going to fix this, leaders like that, like, uh, Freddie Robinson, I think need to stay involved, stay plugged in with the troops. The, the young guys appreciate that. I know when I was on active duty, um, young lieutenant at the basic school, and one of the most inspiring stories I remember is, you know, we're coming back from a late hike, nine mile hike, uh, 12 mile hike. I, I forget how long it was. We started at about midnight that night. So, night prior but uh <clears throat> kind of worn down everyone's a little bit dehydrated and we had these uh these old retired marines come out there with their bagpipes and march the last six miles in with us and uh they played the bagpipes the entire time which is pretty awesome and i know as a uh, young lieutenant definitely brought my spirits up so but i think they need to stay plugged in with the community military community and uh, keep firing up those, those those young lance corporals and those young officers you know what you've done today, Captain Tom Stewart, is you, you've made me think about something that I, 
I had I knew, but I didn't really put a lot of time in. But now it's I find a tremendous amount of comfort in it. And that comfort is that we have leadership problems within the military. And yet we have so many veterans in this nation like yourself who stand ready, who took the oath to the Constitution, to, who love country. And whether you're in the military or not, all the veterans in a time of need are going to rally and be there for us and be right alongside me and everybody else who wants to be on the front line saying, we're going to continue to carry on what those sacrificed so much for in the past to get us to where we need to be. And where we need to be is that our kids don't need to worry about the things that we're currently worried about right now. So I think it's a great time. Let's bring it on now. Let's get this battle over with, win it, and move on. Fully concur. Captain Tom Stewart bringing to us tremendous hope and faith in our country. And he's not just talking about it. He put his money where his mouth is, risking everything to make it happen. God bless the veterans and the farmers who feed us. See you tomorrow. We talk a lot about freedom, but a free and fed America must be our future, or our kids and grandkids are in trouble and generations to come. History shows that countries go through this period of, of trying time. The people who overcome it are those that are informed and know how to go forward with the information that they have. And the place to turn to make that happen is protect the harvest. Get full details about a free and fed America on the website. Know how to empower yourself and it's up to you. The veterans, the Tom Stewart's of the world, they've done their part. Now it's our time to do our part locally. Best partner I know of, protecttheharvest.com. Welcome back. Roll route, Trent Loose alongside Captain Tom Stewart. Hey, uh, I want to change the tenor a little bit here. Uh, you, you referenced it a time or two, and I have many friends actually who have transi- transitioned from military, Steve Sanderson being one, um, who's a pilot for commercial airlines now. What, what's that like? How, how different is the corporate world than flying for the, the Marines? Well, Trent, I'll tell you what's real different is they do not like foul language next to the coffee pot. That's the first thing I noticed. <laughs> uh, oh, you got in trouble, did you? <laughs> yeah. Um, number two, uh, transitioning from a helicopter to the jet, um, it's uh, it's the same procedures. You know, you can look at an approach plate, read it, do what you need to do to get down, shoot an instrument approach, get down to the runway. Obviously, you know how to land a plane. We've been doing that for a long time, but uh, – Certain speeds you got to adhere to. You're going from shooting an approach in my helicopter at 90 knots to starting at about, you're coming in at 320 knots, then eventually slowing down to about 140 knots to get on the instrument approach and get the profile corrected. Uh, only thing I really had to worry about on both the CH-53 and the uh, TH-57 helicopter I was flying, like, is the gear down, landing gear down in place, uh, making sure I got everything set, ready to go so I can land in the extra power if I need it. But uh, this jet I'm flying now has a couple more moving parts. We got flaps. We got retractable landing gear that's pretty fancy. Um, you can't pretty much go slower than 180 knots if you don't, unless you have the flaps down. Um, it, like I said, do, shooting the instrument approaches remains the same, but you'll uh, you do it in the simulator, and you can kind of start slowing down to get to where you need to go. It starts off pretty fast. Took me a little bit of time to 
to figure out the uh, the GPS approaches in this aircraft. I will say that um, that uh, you got to be down at your altitudes, down in time to get down to the runway, break out of the clouds, and, and uh, you know make the runway once you're out of the clouds. But that took a little bit of time to figure out the descent rate with that at the high speeds we were flying. Um, but you have a, you have uh, a different yeah, target I, list. I would think that would be a big deal. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you not, can't you, shoot those pedestrian cars that appear to be out in your way. <laughs> you, you can't. You can't. You're not flying around with three uh, three fifty caliber machine guns attached to your helicopter. Crew chiefs in the back. Now you're flying with flight attendants. Um, passengers in the back, mostly taking Americans. Uh, it's pretty much the same. But you know, sometimes I just remember some of the more vivid memories I have flying around Australia and flying around Hawaii, picking up Marines from Third Marine Regiment. Uh, you know, they'd get on that helicopter after a week of being in the field and you'd smell them before you'd see them, but they were out, <laughs> they were out in the field working hard, getting their, getting their, uh, weapons qualifications in, getting ready for their next deployment, getting all the training and readiness codes done before their next deployment. Um, I'm guessing they're a lot more appreciative than the typical passenger you pick up at uh, DWI or wherever you're at, uh, DWI. Yeah, they're. Those guys are definitely appreciative. They'd rather have a helicopter ride than uh, saddle up all their gear and walk home any day. Um, you know, I'd personally rather I'll take a helicopter ride over a 20-mile hike over not-so-nice terrain. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting. Uh, I, I'm very, very fortunate. I've flown with some good captains on the line. I definitely pick up learn a lot from them. Um, we'll say simulators have never been my strong suit. Uh, I've never really enjoyed simulator training, but it's a necessary evil to get the required muscle memory and skills you need to go apply in the aircraft later. But, uh, yeah, this aircraft, you'll do simulator, 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 check right in the simulator, then you'll go to the aircraft and the military profile. You'll do maybe four to eight simulators, then go fly the flights in the aircraft, then do a check ride in the actual aircraft. Um, that's how we run our instrument syllabus during the, uh, the naval aviation training side back in the helicopters I was teaching at. But, yeah, I mean it's it's been a good time. It's been quite the adventure. I've I've been all over the country the past God, since November. Um you know, up like I said, up in the mountains, spending a lot of it in the mountains. Like I didn't think I'd see much snow this winter, but everywhere I went it seemed snow where I was flying, you know. So I've definitely I got some experience running the anti icing checklist, um, on the ground, de icing checklist, stuff like that. I didn't have to do that in a helicopter. We didn't care about that stuff. We just didn't fly places where there was snow, you know? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, Denver, yeah. if you're flying, if you're a pilot in and out of Denver, I mean, it's, I think they just like using their de icing equipment. They do. And they're the, the places that have the de icing equipment, Denver, Salt Lake City, they're very experienced. They know what they're doing when they use it. Dallas, for example, when it freezes down in Dallas, and there's a little bit of ice on the road in Dallas. They just shut the town down. They shut the airport down and cancel flights because yeah. Dallas is not equipped with the salt and the plows and the stuff that you need to to uh, even get to the airports, you know. But I'm pretty sure they might have de-icing equipment. I don't know. I'd have to look into that. I just yeah. prefer to fly uh, where it's not. So, Tom, I, with the friends that I have, and I, I don't want to get you fired, <laughs> but – I have a lot of people telling me that the corporate culture of all airlines has just disintegrated so much in the past couple of years. Yeah, obviously you got, you got good news there. You don't have a baseline to know what it was like 10 years ago. So you don't know what yeah, it's like. Yeah. But you understand culture. 
How does that reckon itself, and can it survive? I think it's going to survive. Um, you have a lot of, you know, young people getting uh, getting involved. I had an individual in my class who was 21, 22 years old, fresh out of college, and uh, starting his career. But, you know, he got his hours teaching early on, but you're going to have a lot of young bucks in the cockpit, you know, fresh, able to make good decisions. Um, obviously different than a military background, which some companies prefer. But, uh, you know, at the end of the day, some of these companies, all they care about is how many flight hours you have on paper, then they'll hire you. Uh, that's some of the stuff I've learned going through the hiring process. But, I mean, overall, I've been fortunate to fly with some good people. I had a good class full of uh, other first officers I was flying with, good dudes. And it's a good industry because, you know, you help the guy to the left and right out, and they'll help you out as well with stuff. But uh, sat down, did a lot of did a lot of chair flying prior to some of our events we were doing. Uh, discuss systems, help help guys get ready for their uh, their their brief prior to their check ride, uh, which is a big deal. I know I got asked a lot of systems information in mind, but yeah, as far as a baseline goes, ten years ago I couldn't really I couldn't really tell you what it was like ten years ago um, for good or for better or for worse. But uh, so far, what I see, and I mean, it's it's been overall a pretty good time. But uh, you know, it's. Uh, it's it's definitely been good on the uh, on the air crew side. I will tell you that. So as far as uh, the gate agent side, dealing with some of the gate agents trying to commute from place to place to get to work, I've uh, dealt with some pretty not so nice gate agents uh, from multiple different carriers just trying to get on a plane and commute somewhere to go support the flight schedule the next day. And that's pretty I, typical with some of the pilots. So I've only flown, even though I said I'd never fly again post-COVID, I've, I have flown four times, flew not that long ago. And to me, in my limited experience, that has been the biggest one change is the gate agents have zero tolerance anymore. I mean, it's just, it's tough. And I suppose it's because everybody now is on edge all the time and they take it out on the gate agents. And so they're in a constant state of frenzy. And I don't know how you get out of that. Yeah. Some do really well at handling people. And uh, I've also seen some of them lose their minds over the smallest things. And uh, that's definitely been something to see. But what are the trends I have seen? Um, you know, if you have a gate agent, you know, flying out of Palm Springs, California, a couple of weeks ago, if you have a gate agent who's sitting there yelling at passengers, agitating passengers over bags, for example, screaming at a lady about a, uh, calling a, a fanny pack she has around her waist to bag and then screaming at her in front of everyone and demanding she throw that fanny pack in her purse to consolidate it to two bags two bag rule, you know, is that's, that's what they're trying to enforce. But, uh, and then it carried over into the flight where I'm now flying back to work, you know, on that aircraft and I'm watching the flight attendant further berate the lady. My philosophy is the last thing you want up front, the front of the plane, when you're trying to load your flight plan focus is a bunch of passengers behind you that have been agitated by the gate agents getting on the aircraft. And now they're, now they're in sour mood. So now you've got a whole cabin full of people in a sour mood that are, going to their destination an hour or two hours on a jet. And, uh, you know, you definitely don't want them taking their frustration out on anyone in the air. And uh, that's kind of my biggest concern with that. You know but, what the remedy yeah. for that is, is that the captain or the first officer, either one, that comes on the mic and gives you that welcome, but then has some humorous way to make everybody smile. So I'm, yep. I'm assuming you're working on your uh, personable skills and your joke delivery and your ability to make people smile. Well, I'll tell you what, there's a lady 
couple days ago I dealt with, uh, she had a bag. It was too big. She had a big purple suitcase. It was too big. And the lady was hassling her, took her suitcase away from her. was like, you need to check this because aircraft I'm flying, my version of the suitcase that I spent a few hundred dollars on because it rolls very well and uh, has a pretty good warranty with it. Uh, mine won't fit in the luggage compartment, the overhead luggage compartment. So I can't bring my, my suitcase on this particular flight. And, uh, told her as I was grabbed a cup of coffee, walking back to the plane. It's like, don't feel bad. Mine won't fit either. And, uh, smiled. I think it made her day, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've, I've had to make some adjustments flying the, uh, smaller, <laughs> smaller model of the, of the, of the Canadian regional jet. Uh, it'll fit in the 700 pretty good, but the CRJ 200, especially when you're on the road for a couple of weeks, you got to break your suitcases up. And sometimes I'll have three bags, which, like I said, the gate agents you will. can't get on. You, you got to consolidate your bags, even, sir. Even <laughs> if you're commuting and you have to get home in your uniform, they won't let you go home because they wow. want to be on a power trip about the three bags. And, uh, and then they won't let you check them at the plane. Some of the airlines won't, but, uh, yeah, I think this lady had registered with her and, you know, it was good, but I think she got on the plane a little less agitated as a result. And one of the pilots can't even put his own bag on the plane and make it fit in the compartment. Decreasing so. agitation, that's the role of the pilots, not just getting it from A to Z with safety. We'll take a break. We'll come back. Hey, let's uh, change up again when we come back. Last time Captain Tom Stewart and I were together, we were talking about medical freedom. What's going on in that regard across the board? Not in the military, not in corporate culture, just in life. That's when we continue roll route on this Red Shirt Friday Memorial Weekend 2023 after this. Let's talk about the beef business more in particular. You, the consumer, need a reliable source of nutrition. And we now know I'm seeing more people than I could ever imagine who are talking about the carnivore diet or talking about increasing meat consumption. It is clear from an anti-aging standpoint, from a health and wellness standpoint, you need beef nutrition and beef fat in your diet daily. Nobody can even argue that anymore. If you're seeing what I'm seeing on social media, it's pretty incredible the stories that come out about the health and wellness and, and 20 year olds. I've got a 20 year old that I'm going to have on this program next week from Texas that shows pictures pre, pre carnivore diet, post carnivore diet and her overall complexion, her overall health, her mental clarity is all better. So turn to Certified Piedmontese for that supply of home-delivered, on-demand. That's what we call it, on-demand Certified Piedmontese. The Piedmontese is tender because of the genetics that the Piedmontese breed brings to the equation. Every single calf tested for tenderness. And the evaluation says you like tender beef and you'll be back. Certified Piedmontese. Sign up for a subscription. Do it today. Welcome back. Trent Lewis alongside Captain Tom Stewart joining us. He's stable. He's not flying at the moment. I think he's always mentally flying, doing some check to make sure the copter, the helicopter is ready to roll. I had a Chinook fly over my house again the other day. I think of you every time a helicopter flies over my house. You're probably on a terrain route. And they're probably doing low levels. So I'll go with that instead of, my... of surveilling me. No, they're, 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 they're focused on flying formation. Low level's probably getting some training codes in for the weekend, especially if it's the National Guard guys. Yeah. So we were together at a fantastic meeting. I still think back to that meeting that you and Dr. Molly James put together that brought 
to one spot as much medical knowledge and scientific basis for healthy living as you as I've ever been a part of. What, what's been a follow up from that, Tom, and how are things progressing in your mind in terms of medical freedom across the board? As far as medical freedom goes, uh, like I said, the military continued to proceed full speed with the mandate even after that. Uh, like I said, they repealed it in February. But right now, the military medical profession, as well as the civilian medical profession, has lost a lot of trust and confidence of its customers. Um, I think what we discovered during that meeting is how much treatment and how much stuff is being suppressed that they, people try to treat COVID with. Um and some of the stuff that's surfacing on the military front right now is people don't want to take any more injections. They don't care if it's a tetanus shot or anything. They refuse to go into the military medical clinic and take injections because they don't know what's in them anymore. There's been rumors of, of uh, flu shots being laced with mRNA. Um, now they're trying to put flu shots in with COVID vaccines that obviously these people don't want. Um, I sent you the report on the basically the injury they caused back, uh, back when mm-hmm. they were trying to get this thing shut off. Uh, it's about 101 pages worth of testimonies um but right now people are putting in accommodations and and uh requests to not take any more shots that the military has just trying to force into its people you know we didn't sign up to be human pin cushions but uh you know they're trying to give marines flu shots right now and personally i know the last one i took when i was on active duty i was sick as a dog the day after um, got done with the hike that day was pretty much out of commission that Friday afternoon because you had to get it by a certain time. And, uh, you know, I also had another peer of mine who's doing the uh, basic officer course right now in Quantico and same thing. He got it the next day, boom, couldn't run fever sick, but, uh, they're putting stuff in us. That's making us severely ill. And, uh, we don't know the long-term effects, but, uh, then they also keep changing the formulations in them, but there's a lot of service members that are rising up right now and just, flat out are taking it through their chain of command that do not want to take any more immunizations that the military has to offer as a result of what we've discovered during the, the COVID vaccine mandate and then threatening people's livelihoods and futures and career options with that stuff. So, so you know, I've long known, and I had a friend actually in Kansas who went on an international trip and did not get a, a shot that you supposedly get and contracted some disease and it was disabilitating to him for quite some time. But we've been, I, I'm going to use the word brainwashed. We've been brainwashed to believe that these organisms exist outside of our borders. And if you don't have the proper inoculation before you go to different parts of the world, you are at very high risk. And that's been the overall premise behind the military and what you're talking about. And all of a sudden now we sit here in 2023, knowing what we know about COVID and the blatant fraud with the, the COVID jabs. You you wonder how much of this we've been lied to for how long I do. Yep. And uh, I'd say probably over probably about a hundred years right now, knowing what we know now, um, and not to get too far down the rabbit hole here, but when you read about how some of these inoculations were tested, um, not only on like regular troops, but on our soldiers, it, it'll just make you sick to your stomach. Um, and our government did that to people, sadly. Uh, I mean, you're alluding to in many respects, it was like this was the research entity. We'll try it on the troops to see how it goes. That's what they did. That's what they did. Uh Multiple, multiple cases, anthrax being the big one. Um, obviously, same thing, not an FDA approved vaccine that they injected. They, they forced the troops to take before it was even authorized. 
Um, they had many sicknesses with that. There's a whole documentary on it. I'll send you later. That's worth watching. Um, that was, you know, years ago, early two thousands, uh, same thing. They had the same issues with the court cases and you will take this or else. And the courts don't want to get involved. Uh, like I said, not a lawyer. I, I do know people that are more qualified to talk about that aspect of, uh, experimental medicine. They performed on the troops during that time. Um, you know, we've also got some entities in the past where troops have been given inoculations and had stuff tested on them and they've been severely ill and maimed for the rest of their lives as a, as a result. Big picture. But, uh, you know, this is World War II, World War One era. Just people decided to go experiment on the troops and it's all, it's all documented. So, but, uh, led up to basically kind of what we have today. So do you feel like, I mean, every day I have the the discussion that we just bring awareness. Do you feel like more people, I know more people are aware, but are we aware at the right level to start making different choices? I think so. I think more people are aware. Uh, I think a lot of people are waking up, especially when their relatives are having secondary effects from these injections. Uh, you know, you have people who have no history at all. Uh, of Parkinson's or any of this, these items, this heart attacks or stroke in their family. And, and magically, you know, you got parents and kids taking it, especially kids now having strokes and heart attacks, playing sports and dropping dead on the basketball court or the soccer field. Like it's out in the open, you know, but some people want to tie it to the recent mandate and some people don't. But, uh, you know, it's, it's not normal for teenage kids to be having heart attacks and strokes. And it's also not normal for 18, 19 year old Lance corporals that just finished boot camp at their military occupational specialty school to be having strokes while walking to class mm-hmm. and seizures. So, but, uh, you know, big medical industry, I don't think we'll ever tie it, want to tie it together. Tom, another thing that I've noticed with just people around me, it is a weekly occurrence that somebody tells me they have an AFib situation. And I know uh, through the years I've had friends that had AFib at all ages of life, but not every week where somebody new is telling me that, oh, I've got an AFib situation. AFib is not natural. It's not normal. And I, and, I, and I know that some of these folks personally that I know did not take the jab. So yep. I, I can't directly tie it to that, but I don't know why all of a sudden we got all these people with an AFib condition when it wasn't an epidemic five years ago. Yep. I'd agree. And, uh, yeah, I'd heard there's connections with COVID and AFib after I knew personally down in flight school, guys had to go when COVID first started, they'd get COVID, get over COVID. They'd have to go take a stress test for their heart. Also some sort of respiratory exam to make sure their lungs were putting out the oxygen they needed to put it, put out prior to getting back in their aircraft to finish uh, naval flight training. But I also have a friend who's tied to student athletes that were also having issues post COVID. So, but they'll, they'll connect it later. They'll, uh, they'll draw it. But right now there's, there's been lots of other, not a doctor, but lots of other ways to treat these particular situations that don't do permanent damage to the patient. So see, I'm thinking that some of these are just a direct result of, because I don't know that I've ever had COVID, never been tested, never will test, see no reason to ever test. But I've never been the test isn't even accurate. I never had a time that I was sick and felt like I had COVID. So I don't know that I have it, but I don't think I've ever had it. And traveled through forty two states during that COVID time. 
But I think in addition to the the jab itself, Tom, I think that there's some long-term ramifications for people that get it. Even once they get over it, I, I, I'm bound to believe that there are components put in that virus, if it's a virus, that is going to somehow alter your heart and how you work post-COVID, even when you think you're fully recovered. Yep, I would concur with that assessment. And uh, like I said, there's other ways to treat it. There's doctors right now that are using other uh, natural ways to treat, you know, the uh, the onset of the virus and the, the, the side effects of the virus and that are actually turned out to be pretty effective. But what you don't do is, uh, and this is per in basic immunology, per the, uh, the BUMED pubs that we were given that they basically said, you will take this and injection or else is you don't go give someone an immunization for something that they've already had, you know, yeah. and I, don't, I don't think that's making it much better that to me, my mind, that made it worse. Oh, it does, but, that you know, makes it worse. I just even, had COVID. Even, so I, I better go get the vaccine. That's the stupidest statement anybody could ever make. Yep. Yep. So can't, can't make it up, but, uh, but yeah, what's what's happening in the medical industry? There's a lot of trust and confidence. I know, particularly, there's only a handful of doctors I'll do business with these days. Um, you know, sometimes you, you gotta size the doctor up you're dealing with and say, "Hey, is this guy just feeding me the poster line from the CDC or the FDA, or uh, did they actually do their homework?" And it, it'll be pretty apparent if you ask the right questions if that individual you're giving. Yeah you're getting receiving medical care from actually did their homework or did they just pull up a bunch of pamphlets and flyers like my flight doctor did when I was leaving the squadron and uh you know all those oh. pamphlets and flyers have FDA and CDC numbers on them with no real rhyme or reason and no logic applied to them so I rely on Dr. Nathan Bryan as much as anybody and he is the nitric oxide expert of the world for 18 years now. I've taken a nitric oxide supplement every day. We're all short on nitrate and it continues to be the untold story of human health. But, um, I'll just continue to do it. Captain Tom Stewart on this Memorial Day weekend, 2023. What's your bits of parting wisdom? Keep your head up. Keep praying. It's only going to get better. We know how this is going to end. And then, uh, God bless the troops, guys who fought in uh, foreign wars to keep this country safe, and Stemper Fidelis. Yeah, we had to get at least one Marine plug-in. We got it, rightfully so. On this Red Shirt Friday, we say thank you to everyone, every family who is risk for our freedom. And we let you know that we will be there to stand up in this time of need. For Captain Tom Stewart, I'm Trent Lewis, both of us reminding you that all roads do lead to a roll route. Just can't say enough on this Red Shirt Friday, Memorial Day weekend. I know that people are going to get together. They're going to grill. They're going to take my advice on beef. Please take my advice on making sure our veterans and particularly those families that have made the ultimate sacrifice that we appreciate and will continue the endeavor that they've started. The Wall of Honor is a great means to bring awareness to individuals in a local area that have contributed not only to our freedom, but making life better, like the first responders. What would we be without the volunteer fire department? What would we be without the rural EMTs? You name any of the first responders, they drop everything to come and help. 
So to have a monitor in every local establishment that shows these individuals and their dedication and their commitment to country, I don't know how you could do it any better. TheWallOfHonor.org. TheWallOfHonor.org. Have a great weekend.